0: Well, as we start today, uh, let, let me just say that one of the interesting things I'm finding about the flow of history and the flow of this class, especially as we're looking at history, is that we're going to always be balancing between the doctrine that's being revo- being revealed and the history and the history behind it. So last week we were pretty heavy on doctrine, light and truth and life and all that kind of stuff that's coming out of section 88. Well, today's going to be more like a history lesson. We need to there's a number of things going on historically that we need to set up and we need to have the doctrinal or we need to have the historical background uh, behind this. Okay? <coughs> so, when, when, we were, uh, when we were last together, we were talking about Section 88, and it's a law. Remember, Section 88 took uh, two, maybe three days to be uh, dictated. So way down at the bottom of Section 88, we get this. And as, and as all have not faith, seek ye diligently and teach one another words of wisdom. Yea, seek out of the best books words of wisdom. Seek learning even by study and by faith. Organize yourself, prepare every needful thing, establish a house, a house of prayer, fasting, faith, learning, glory, order, a house of God. Now. There is, in this little bit here, there are two major commandments that will direct the church in a variety of ways and changes forever. Okay? Uh, so, two commandments for the price of one. Section 118. What is this a commandment to do? Or verse 118. Seek the best books. See, uh, and so uh, number one so he's taking this rough hewn group of first generation of the church and he's saying uh, search out of the best books uh, search diligently uh, seek l- wisdom and learning even by study what's he directing them to do them on them. yeah here comes the school of the prophets um If you were, uh, if you were, uh, if your gospel doctrine class yesterday was talking about uh, the books of uh, Joel and Amos. In the period of Joel, uh, Joel is actually uh, a prophet at the time, a very wicked king. And the school of the prophets was one that was actually kind of an indoctrination of the inner court. uh, Very wicked people. And so Joel is outside of that. I'm not part of the school of the prophets. He wanted this group, Joseph wanted this group of people to be, to form a a school of the prophets. Why? Because think about this for a second. Why would you need a school of the prophets? And we touched on this a bit last time. They have revelation, they've got... Joseph, he's receiving guidance. Here's the words of God to them. Why in the world, A, would you need a school of the prophets and then be dumb enough to require you to teach one another all of this? So we're teaching one another. Joseph was not the primary teacher in the school of the prophets. He wasn't. Sidney Rigdon was in Kirtland. Parley P. Pratt was in Missouri. Why, would there need, why is there a need for a school of the prophets? It was because they were all new members of this group. They were all new. And they, they had a lot to learn. But learning from each other? Through the Spirit. Through the Spirit, yeah. I think that every man might be a problem. There was an expectation that, now think about the Protestant uh, world in which they swam. Who, te- who does the teaching in that Protestant world? The preacher. the preacher does, who's been to school and learning and has degrees and things. Or those that feel like they've had a calling, God called them to be a minister. In this case, in a school of the prophets, what, what is the Lord through Joseph telling them? Every man a prophet. Everybody's gonna be teaching. Everybody has something to contribute. Of course, we don't do that today, right? (laughs) Instead of a School of the Prophets, today we would call it a council. Council. (laughs) We're counseling together to teach one another and then we go, we take that information, then we go minister. And the idea here was, we're gonna have a School of the Prophets, it's gonna run from about uh, January or February through about April. Then I think what happens is I think they plant their crops. Then they go on a mission for about six weeks or two months. Then they come back and work their crops again. It also but also the... gives them consistency. In... What's that? It also gives them consistency. In what they're doing. Well, exactly. We teach each other together because we don't know what to teach. Well, what would I teach? If I've been living in the community of Christ in Ohio, and now I'm going to go out and preach the gospel, what am I going to preach? Okay. Christ. the community Christ mingled with a little book of Mormon mm-hmm. and we're going to get some of that in the lectures on faith but that'll be a topic we'll talk about a little bit later okay but they're going to do it based on their knowledge base okay but again so for three years in a row the school of the prophets will run about April to or January to April uh, except for the following year here when we're going to talk about Zion's camp kind of messes up the school but. Okay. But why else would they have to have a School of the Prophets? Yeah. To be um, every man a prophet, you need to have the Spirit of Revelation with you. And they needed to learn how to teach by the Spirit. By by taking turns teaching each other in, in School of the Prophets, then they take, they're actually teaching the Gospel. They're practicing. They're having to stand up. I'm a farmer. I'm a blacksmith. And now I'm going to have to stand up and give a sermon. And I'm going to have to teach people. Well, yeah, you're going to have to do it on your mission. This is a great practice thing. So it's like a mission training class. Right. And they, they may not have known how to follow the Spirit in teaching people. Just because they didn't learn that growing up in their various churches. They would have to learn to receive this inspiration and then be able to put it into words. Right. Okay. Now, isn't it interesting that it's not just saying uh, in the school of the prophets, they weren't just teaching Scripture. What else are they learning? They're seeking out of the best books. What are they learning? Wisdom, Wisdom like what? They will learn Hebrew in Nauvoo or, or and, and, and two, in three years in 1836. Okay. What else are they learning? They're learning English. They're learning punctuation. They're I mean they are they're learning history. They're I mean, this is, this is kind of a, and by the way, I have read, I've gone back and looked at uh, speeches at BYU and the uh, teachers in, uh, and uh, presidents of BYU consider this a commandment to BYU. They, they see themselves as the latest inheritor of this commandment to teach out of the best books of wisdom. In other words, Joseph was saying there is truth everywhere. We don't have all of the truth and if, if there's a great commentator from another faith or a professor or something that is bringing truth to the table, we'll embrace that. We'll take it in. Joseph never saw himself as a creator of truth as much as an abrogator. He was bringing in truth wherever he found it and we need to be that way. Some of our best knowledge about the Bible isn't count, uh, for years hasn't been our own, scri- our own scholars we're getting it elsewhere. We're finding out of the best books. Okay? Yeah? And Jewish tradition, wisdom is knowledge and understanding that results in happiness. And in the tradition, if you're not happy, you have no wisdom. And I think uh, an important thing about the School of the Prophets too is they came out with the pamphlet on faith. And uh, faith is a power. And and it's it's not something that's intuitive and it's something that we have to develop through obedience and that sort of thing and I can't emphasize enough how that it is a power. And with that power we can create universes. Oh, sure. We're going to take that energy and that knowledge and that understanding and again, look at where it's coming from all over the place. We need to not cut ourselves off. It's the one time I struggle just a little bit when we use the word uh, this is the only true church on the face of the earth. How, how, do we tend, how do we tend to sometimes interpret that and how might that be interpreted by other people? This is the only true church, meaning we're the only one who has truth. Right. That's right. And that's not true. It's not even true. It said, grab truth wherever you find it. That's why people were scratching their head. He grabbed some Masonic stuff for the temple. That's just, how do we, how do, what's What was the thinking? And as we get into that, it's like, no, Joseph saw truth and went, oh, Yeah! Perfect! We'll pull that in. And perhaps it's probably the restoration the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's that's the confusing part. Is the restoration is true for sure? Right. Uh, but we don't hold all truth. No, we don't hold all truth. What's restored sometimes is taking the truth and then refining it. Like we were sh- we were showing uh, last week, where he would take uh, parables and scriptures and then say, "This is true." Now let me add to that. Yeah. So, like President Hinckley used to say, "Bring all the good you have you have with you, and we will see if we can't add to that." Okay. Yeah. What we do have, though, is the authority and the ordinances. Yep. And, and those, we're going to take that knowledge, and then we're going to restore to that knowledge what was lost and that may be ordinances and that may be additional light and knowledge Uh, yeah and priesthood authority which by the way as we're studying we're starting to say by the way this is a restoration of those ordinances this is a restoration of that knowledge did they have our ordinances in the first century of the church oh heck yeah This had to be restored, though. It had to be brought back. That was lost. We, We brought back doctrine, and we brought back ordinances. Okay? All right. Yeah. Which makes perfect sense because we've been told all things will be restored. <laughs> all things are going to be restored. What's that? So, okay. So here's where it gets a little bit more confusing uh, for this for this generation here. They're they're like, okay, we get the school part. We're we're kind of dunderheads. We're not very good at this. Some were better at others at this school. Orson Pratt was a natural and everything. Brigham Young, not so much. (laughs) Brigham Young was anxious to get out from underneath this thing as quick as he could. Let's just get out and do stuff. (laughs) okay? But here comes the second part here. Organize yourself. Prepare every needful thing. Establish a house. Even a house of prayer, house of fasting, of faith, of learning, of glory, a house of order, a house of God, this was a direction for what? Build a temple. For what? What do we do with the temple? Now, their experience with temples was, if, if if you are a first generation member of the church, what is your experience and understanding of a temple? Maybe. Oh, wait a minute. There's one. There's supposed to be one in Independence. We're going to build this one in Independence. We'll talk about this one in a second. And Christ is going to come here, and I guess teach. Okay. Um, there are temples in the Book of Mormon. There are temples in the Old Testament for what? Sacrifices. But didn't the Savior get rid of sacrifices? He doesn't want blood sacrifices anymore. So, why would we need a temple? In, in uh, December of 1832, what purpose would a temple serve? Uh, we don't know. There were revelations, or there were... I remember, I can't remember found it, about that the Lord would reveal more once there was a temple. So they had a temple. Yeah, but there might be some learning, but you know what? We're doing the School of the Prophets. Do we necessarily need a temple to do that? The greater power that we hear about. Okay, hold on to the greater power. Okay? This is December of 1832. Their understanding of a temple is... <laughs> and not only that, if you're going to build a temple, is that a log cabin? is that a we got this great place on top of the Whitney store we're getting good stuff done there we've yeah. stopped chewing and stuff so we're kinda not polluting it quite so bad <laughs> we have a we have a place where we where stuff is why would we need to go through the time and expense of building a temple when we don't even know what we're gonna do with it okay and we don't have any money and we have no money <laughs> that? And by the way, the temple that we are hearing about in, in uh, the New Jerusalem, that's for Zion. They're going to do their thing. It's like 24 temples. Holy cow. We're no, uh, we're gonna, when are we going to do that thing? So how fast is a temple getting done around here? We don't have a reason. We don't have a purpose. We don't have the means. How about we just work on the school of the prophets? We'll just get that done. Yeah. Um, Budapest, Hungary they wanted a synagogue and they went to Spain to get an architect. And he built a beautiful building that was a Catholic building. They had a choir loft and places to people to meal. Synagogues did not have that. No. They didn't know. No, they didn't know. That was very interesting. Well and that see and that's their understanding. Remember the Christian church especially under the reformation, okay, went from uh, the Catholicism said ah the ancient the, the Jews had a temple and they had a synagogue. Now the temple falls and the Jews are left then with a synagogue. Catholicism says um we're going to combine temples and church and synagogues together in one building. The the outer part of a of a Catholic church, if you ever been to there, is 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 where everybody sits. That is the synagogue. Then you cross over into the nave, which is the temple part where generally in the older churches it would look it would be built like a cross so that the the temple would be a cross if you looked up it would look like a, a ship because you had all of the, the structure is all carrying here but the idea is is that when the temple fell and we were no longer Jewish we're going to combine our synagogue and temple together and we don't need a temple and and so for this idea to build a temple is kind of weird. By the way, how many chapels did Joseph Smith build in his lifetime? He didn't build any. He built a couple of temples and he directed temple building, but he never did build a synagogue, a chapel, a meeting place. We'll just do that in the woods. we we'll just do that wherever. Half his sermons in Nauvoo were preached in the, in the cemetery. So again, you kind of have to be a little bit sympathetic to these early saints when they're saying build a temple and they don't have a purpose, they don't have a reason, and they're so Protestant that they're not even sure that we're not quite getting this. We seem to be getting revelations and knowledge and understanding. What purpose would there be in temple? Didn't God want a place to come to? Well, hold on. She says, did, "Did God want a, a place to come to? He's coming to the big one in Zion when we get around to building that one, mm-hmm. and we're all getting ready. Kirtland is an outpost, and the idea is to go and get your inheritance and go to Missouri and there to build up this big temple. So why would we need a temple here? Well, God knows if He's going to have His plan of Well, God knows. That's right. So God's about to tell them. God's about to tell them." Okay, now, part of it again is this understanding that we're over here in Kirtland, and everything is happening over here in Missouri. We got this gap here, okay, we'll let it all happen over there, okay. Now, so then, so then we're going to get to uh, May. And how fast are they moving on this house of God? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> we're not quite sure. Okay, uh, we're we're loving our school of the prophets. We're having a great time. Stuff is going on here. Um, and how are they doing in Missouri? Well, they're building their crops and they're building their homesteads and okay, everything. Uh, so now let's get to May. And we'll do um, uh, section ninety five. So this comes in uh, on June first. Barely thus saith the Lord unto whom I love. And whom I love, I also chasten that their sins may be forgiven. For with the chastisement I prepare a way uh, for their deliverance in all things out of temptation. Verse 3. But you must needs stand chastened and rebuked. 3. For ye have sinned against me a very grievous sin. And they're like, What did we do? Ye have not considered the great commandment in all things, like what? That I have given unto you concerning the building of my house. And then it's interesting that a variety of times in the scriptures, he's going to use this phrase, verse 4. For the preparation therewith I designed to prepare mine apostles to prune my vineyard before you can actually go out and be the laborers we talked about in section 88. You're going to be these last laborers. That I may bring to pass my strange act. And he's going to use this term. Strange act. In talking about the ordinances of the temple. I'm I'm going to bring to pass my strange act. That I may uh, pour out my flesh. Um, I say unto you. Uh, many have been ordained uh, but I've called, few are chosen you're walking in darkness seven, you should call your solemn assembly uh, and verse eight verily I say unto you, I gave unto you a commandment that you should build a house in the which power I designed to endow those with whom I have chosen with power from on high is the microphone being where? Okay. Okay. So this is the moment. It's June 1st. And all at once, this is the spark that lights the fire. It comes right now. I designed to endow those with whom I have chosen with power from on high. What is the temple for? And suddenly they go, he has something to give us. There is a greater endowment of power of something that is supposed to happen in this house that he's saying he can't do without this. Something additional is about to occur. That got him. This is the moment. Um, Within this first week, uh, So a couple of things about this Uh, 11 I say unto you it is my will that you build a house if you keep my commandments, you shall have the power to build it. I know you're poor do it anyway. Uh, It's going to have to be big. Uh, and he's going to give them directions um, it's going to uh, 15 it'll be 55 feet in width 65 feet in length that's in the inner court uh, and he, so he starts giving all these directions Okay. so this is June 1st the, ne- the, the next commandment given is going to direct uh, a group of three men of which uh, Hiram Smith will be primarily in charge of getting the temple going so this is really Hiram Smith's baby. Why? Because Joseph is, is the translator. He's the seer. He's, he's working on things and Hiram Smith is going to bear the responsibility to get this thing rolling. Within the first week of June they will look around. If you're going to build a temple, where are you going to build it? Where do you build temples? On a hill. On a hill. It's always going to be on a hill. Where's the highest point in Kirtland? Thank <laughs> you. Well it's the it, it was the Peter French farm that was up on the bluff. You've got the the lower the flats near the river of Kirtland down where the Whitney store is now that for those of you have been to Kirtland. It's all down there, and then you go up the road and up on top and there's the bluff. So we're gonna put the temple on the highest point, and at that point it was owned by a man by the name of Peter French, who owned five thousand acres right at the top of the bluff. Uh, the church then makes arrangements and that First week of June, under the direction of Hiram, we're going to buy the Peter French farm. They do. Uh, that gives us the acreage. Within within a couple of days after this revelation, um, uh, I've got a. I was reading a journal of someone said I watched Hiram Smith go over and tear down the fencing on the Peter Fent, French farm, uh, and go out there with a scythe and start clearing out the wheat uh, and clearing out a place that then he took a shovel so that he could start digging the footings for the foundation of the temple. Hiram, I got it. We want this thing to happen. We're going to do it. Um... So they do all the digging, they start lying out the dimensions. The temple will be right here. Uh, What are we going to use? Oh, we'll use rock and rubble. So we're putting this in there. They're trying to build a foundation out of rock and rubble. Uh, They basically stink at it because nobody has built anything like this before. They're all basically farmers. (laughs) What do we do? I don't know. This looks awful. Does anybody know, anybody that might know how to do this? Mm-hmm. And Brigham Young goes, you know, on my last mission I was up in Upper Canada and I and I baptized in last January a really good man by the name of Artemis Mellet. Artemis is a Mason, stone mason. He builds stuff. He builds chimneys. He builds all kinds of things. He's good at this kind of stuff. And Joseph says, or Hiram says, let's get him. Let's get him. So Hiram then writes a letter to Artemis Millet and says, we need you to take charge of the building of the the external part of the Kirtland Temple. Now, there is a different version of this story that is kind of part of church lore, and we're having a hard time verifying it. Truman Madsen made it popular, uh, but but as researchers find it, it could be true, but we're not. We can't find any external real evidence that it is true. The alternative version of this is. Brigham Young says to Joseph, they're walking on the property, we're going to need somebody to do this. Anybody know somebody can do it? Yes, I know a man in Upper Canada by the name of Artemis Millet. Okay, Brigham, go go baptize him, uh, bring him to Kirtland and tell him to bring a thousand dollars. Which he then does. Okay. that's like the best. You, we, if you want that story you can choose that story <laughs> the, the one that uh, the Joseph Smith papers just kind of lean on the one we know for sure is that Artemis Millet was baptized in January of 1833 uh, that Hiram sends a letter to him we need you here you've got the knowledge he comes briefly in the fall he takes a look at it and goes oh this is awful <laughs> this really stinks um, Um, Go ahead and use the rock, but there's a nice little rock quarry down here in the flats. Prepare to start using that. Uh, I've got to go finish up my deal in Canada. I will be back in in the spring. Uh, He does that. Uh, in the spring, he comes back about March or April of 1834. There's like four guys working on the temple. The rest have all gone in Zion's camp, off to save Missouri, okay? Uh, but he's get, he will be the primary architect behind the external building of the Kirtland Temple. Uh, and it, it'll be a, this wonderful man by the name of Artemis Millet, okay? All right. Um, and as we know, um, oh, so they start building it. They're going to figure out they're getting the external part of this but they're going to start without knowing what the internal part of the temple will look like. What's the internal part going to look like? The Lord gives them a revelation and says, I, need, I'm gonna gi- I will give the plans to three people. And it's going to be Joseph and Frederick G. Williams and Sidney Rigdon. Uh, and they're going to they're get a revelation on this. And, and the best I can describe it is like, you know how we're developing like holograph images. They have a vision. It opens up. Frederick G. Williams says, I was actually the first one to see it. Uh, And he says, it was out there in the distance, and I could see the temple. And it was kind of cool. It would look at it. He says, and then the temple drew closer and closer until it came right over the top of us. So now we're we're inside the temple, and we're going, oh, look at those pulpits are kind of cool. (laughs) <laughs> and oh wait a, you know what there is an inner court and then there's a second inner court and then their office is on top wow that's different that's the Lord has his own design to this thing this is very cool and, and so they're, they're, they do that and then they're going to draw it up now I wanted to I knew you were going to do this to me dang you we have a reason, this is wanting to re—I'll work on this anyway. Um, I wanted to go look at the. Uh, see, it's it's the Joseph Smith Papers. We should have a. We should have original plans of the Kirtland Temple in the Joseph Smith paper, shouldn't we? So I went to find the original plans of the Joseph, for the Kirtland Temple, that's what I got. Uh, well, that's three years down the road, that's the hieroglyphics from Joseph's mummies. Why in the world am I looking at this? And I went back and forth actually, went, no, I got the wrong thing, they messed up on this thing, I want Temple think you're giving me hieroglyphics. That's weird. Okay. <laughs> when they look, when the when the when the uh, archivists uh, going through the papers uh, were looking for the original plans of the Kirtland Temple, they found this, which was this flimsy part of uh, hieroglyphic that needed to be tacked down to a cardboard piece of paper because it was so flimsy so we'll tack it down you can see where somebody kind of drew in some figures on it oh i wonder if that goes through see and then to their surprise by the way what's on the other side of the cardboard (laughs) oh it's the plans for the kirtland temple (laughs) 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 Uh, wow Think about what they did it's 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 kirtland 1836 we have these mummies and and we got these little flimsy parchments that we got to put them somewhere we, and paper is scarce got any paper lying around <laughs> yeah we got the original plans for the kirtland temple but we built it i guess we don't need this anymore let's put it on that <laughs> So so you've got this remarkable cardboard piece of paper that has a hieroglyphic on the front, a parchment, and on the back, if you look carefully, you can actually see, this is Frederick G. Williams writing it after the vision, you can actually see the pulpits of of the temple in the upper uh, left-hand corner. Okay. And then if you look at the bottom of it, you can see the pulpits at the other end of the assembly hall. Isn't that great? And then they're drawn up. And, and then, by the way, then what we also get in here is this remarkable kind of thing. And those of you who have sat... How many have been to Kirtland Temple? Okay, about half. Uh, you, you can sit in these benches right here, and depending on if the speech is coming from here, or if it's coming from here, you actually just change place in your bench. And you can actually turn and look at it that way. Okay? If we were doing it here, what we'd have would be these square, like this, enclosed kind of thing. Anybody been to Old North Church in Boston? Yes. Okay, same deal, right? They are square kind of things, that's how they stayed warm. Well, it's that basic, this is early 30s construction, but in this case, the idea was the, the bishops might be speaking from the far end of the thing, and so we can turn around and see that. If the presidency of the high priesthood is preaching, we'll just slide around in our bench and we'll, we'll look at them there, okay? Anyway. They're just like picnic benches? No, no, they, they were more like cubicles they 're like wooden cubicles, and the bench goes all the way around three hundred and sixty inside there, so you can actually slide around inside and you can get about ten people uh, inside each one of these little cubicle things thin ten thin people. Well, they were small then have you ever seen their clothes they weren 't very big people, okay All right so anyway, I thought that was. Uh, I thought that was fascinating. Okay. Now, that said, so so Hiram then gets on his literary horse to the churches of Christ. It's the first week of June. We feel ourselves under obligation to write to you as well as the churches. Uh, We do this that you may exert yourself to bring about the fulfillment of the commandment of the Lord establishing a house uh, or a home whereby the elders who have been commanded to do so to gather themselves, prepare all things to call them a solemn assembly that they may go forth to the Gentiles at the last time. And in order to accomplish this we are directed yea, under the necessity to call the whole church as a body to make every possible exertion to aid temporally as well as spiritually in this great work that the Lord is bringing about. And then the letter goes on to say, gather all the money you can and send it to us. Okay, so that we can build this thing. Okay. Uh, Now, so lots of fun and excitement going on in Kirtland in June 1833. Okay. This is the best of times. (laughs) Now let's talk about the flip side of the coin, because I can't even imagine this letter then arriving in independence. Okay? Now, in order to do that, okay, hang with me for history, history lesson 101. At this point in the, in the country's history, uh, the, the, the original founders of the nation built a lot of what we did as they were establishing a new nation on a concept that they called Manifest Destiny. Manifest Destiny was like a city on a hill. In a sense, we see ourselves a bit as Manifest Destiny as Latter-day Saints and the House of Israel. That our job is to be better and to be a light and to allow people to come forward. And so the original idea of Manifest Destiny is we're going to build this nation. And then people will come unto it and they will see it. And maybe they will create something like this in their own countries. That isn't shackled by monarchies and, and fighting and all this kind of stuff. This is going to be the new world. This is Manifest manifest destiny it's the manifest destiny of the American people okay now as the country rolled on decade by decade manifest destiny meant something other else to different groups of the country in the south uh, where as we're starting to crank up and the cotton gin is really going and and all of that, Uh, This nation is being blessed and we are sending tons of cotton over to the continent. uh, So we're closer in some ways emotionally to London than we are to Boston. That's industrial. We're sending all the textiles. We're feeding the textiles of Europe from our cotton gins. Okay. So manifest destiny in this place is our ability to get uh, wealthy and strong. And that means some people are going to be better than others. So manifest destiny in this case means uh, if, you are, if you are white Christian Anglo-Saxon, you got it going. And you have a divine destiny to do your thing. If you ain't, we're sorry for you, but it's our destiny to do what we're doing. So that means, for instance, manifest destiny in this case means that if you are a Native American and you have your land that means, so sorry for you, we need to move you off of your land so that we can plant more crops uh, because it's our destiny to take over the continent and we're going to move the Indians off of their native lands and put them somewhere else. By the way, it also justifies slavery because that means that we were born white. There's something inherently great about us then, and sorry that you're black, but you're going to be in servitude here uh, to help us build this great nation. I will direct, you will cut down the trees. That's how it works okay so it was this sense this this sense and and no great they had no greater champion of this form of manifest destiny from the south no greater uh, embodiment of all of this than the hero of New Orleans Andrew Jackson so they elect him in 1830 he immediately does the Trail of Tears, he's moving the Indians off of that and they're, they're plopping them on the other side of the Missouri Territory into the Indian lands, doesn't matter whether you're Iroquois or, or Seminole or whatever it is, we're clearing you out of the way. And by the way, the, the cotton gins are doing very, very well, cranking along here, so slavery is just part of the economy, we need to protect that economy, and I'm sorry that you were born black, but that's just the way it is. Okay? And if you're, so if you've got that, kind of that Southern, at uh, that time, that Southern mentality that says some people got it, some people ain't. Sorry. Now, guess who then, if you're really independent in the South, and you don't like the fact that the federal government is, and government is kind of encroaching on you, where are you going to go? Where's a really good place if you have that mentality? Sure. Right. West. Go west, young man. Go out to the wild west. We're going to get as far away from Washington, D.C. as we can. We're going to get out there. We're going to be, this is the wild west. We're going to be out on the edge. We don't want to go too far. We've kind of pushed the Indians over there. But we're going to, on the west part of Missouri, we're going to camp out here. And we are feeling so uh, self-reliant. We're going to name our city Independence. (laughs) That's who we are. Now, we need to form a couple of counties here, and the the county in which independence is going to sit, we're going to call that what? Jackson County, (laughs) after our hero, Andrew Jackson. And Missouri is going to be a slave state, and we had this great compromise, even though some of the other states are free states, we're going to be a slave state, in independence. So the other county, and this was brokered by Henry Clay. So what are we going to call the county next to Jackson County? Clay County. Very nice, so here we are. And we're out here and our, and our slaves, which were about 900 of them at that point uh, in, the, in the county, are clearing our lands and stuff like that. Life is really good. And then in the middle of all of that in 1831, who shows up? You've got these little Mormon people. <laughs> these Mormons, Oliver Cowdery, you're gonna drop right in there. and And where, and where are you going by the way? Why, why, Oliver, why are you here?" And he says, "Where are they going? Uh-uh. In 1831. Not yet. To teach the? Teach the, Indians, uh, teach the Indians. Teach the Lamanites. We're on a mission to the Lamanites. Remember, they just been in Kirtland. Mm-hmm. And they found Sidney Rigdon. Then they kept going. They went over here. They go through. Hey, we're here. Wonderful. Where are you going? Off to teach the Indians. Uh, we're going to, you know. The, really? Uh, no. <laughs> they get the, uh, the uh, Indian uh, government people involved. Uh, they're told that they can't preach. But by the way, this was going to be a twofold job. We were going to preach to the Lamanites. Lamanites. They're not letting us preach to the Lamanites. The second part is that we're supposed to do what in Missouri? Locate the temple site. And guess where it is? It's in Independence. Just, just two blocks down from the courthouse. Now, the amazing thing about this, and there's a little kind of church chutzpah here. <laughs> when, when Joseph meets them out there and they go, the temple will be right here. We didn't even own that property. (laughs) There it is. We will take it. Now, they will ultimately then, in the next few months, they'll purchase the property. And Joseph is going to be a big advocate. Guys, buy the property. Wherever you are in Missouri, buy the property. Stir up, get the money. Purchase it. Own it. Okay? Because uh, there there was a tradition back then and it was carried on for a number of years, that there there are two ways to to own a piece of property in the US. One is that you purchase it. How's the other way? Homestead it, which means we're gonna be here, we're gonna improve it, we're gonna build a house on it and then it becomes ours over a period of time because we took an unmarked piece of property and we improved it, therefore it's ours. Okay? Uh, Anybody been to uh, Porter Park in Rexburg? Okay? That was the Hinckley original property in Rexburg. And, and my pioneer grandfather Arza was busy being the patriarch and doing other things and helping establish the, this BYU, uh, this academy uh, in Rexburg. And he went, didn't pay attention, and people came in and homesteaded on the Hinckley property and improved it. And he went to his grave angry that we'd, he'd lost his original inheritance because other people came in and improved on it. Okay. Well, that's how it worked. So a lot of the saints coming to Missouri were coming and not necessarily purchasing the property, they were just homesteading it. So they didn't really have deed to it. Okay? Now, it gets better. So now they're going to show up and now they start having these discussions over time with the with the with the settlers. Um, especially as thousands now start coming, we had, we had at least a thousand that we know of. Uh, there were in 1833, early 1833, there were more Saints in Missouri than there were in Kirtland. There were about 3,000 in the county. A third of them were Latter Day Saints. Okay, Can somebody hit the air on there, just a little bit. Thank you. Yeah, sometimes it goes off. Thank you. Okay. So there's the problem. Now, think about how this works. Mormons are starting to show up in Jackson County. Why are you here, why Mormons? Why are you here in Jackson County? Because I've been told this is, this is where I'm to be. This, this is my place. And I re, and in Kirtland I received my inheritance to come to Missouri. Wow! Really? Why here? Why? What's going to happen in Independence? Well, what's going to happen here? The, 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 there's going to be a temple built. Really? B- how big's the temple? Well it's not one temple it's 24 temples. Wow. Really? Okay. That's a lot. And then here's the city Platte by the way. And it's like a hundred miles. Wait, my farm's in the middle of all of that. My business is right in the middle of that. Now there aren't very many of you guys so Who's actually building this temple in the first place? Well, if you go to the Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon says, who's going to build this massive temple in independence? The, the who? Lamanite. Uh, the Lamanites. What's a Lamanite? Lamanite. It's an Indian. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the we're on the edge of the territory. <laughs> the Indian territory is right there. And these and you're going to bring all the Indians in here to build this massive temple that will displace all of us. Wow. Now, even if we think that's a kooky idea, at the very least, as Mormons, there are a lot of you, at least as Mormons, you're going to come shop in my store. (laughs) No, why? We got our own store. (laughs) So we're not even benefiting from this thing. Okay. Well, at least you can be neighborly and join us this weekend. What are we doing this weekend? We have horse races. No, we're not doing that. Well, at least we have these wonderful grog shops. We, we, we sell a lot of alcohol there. at least you'll come no Oh, this just gets worse. okay? And there are how many of you? well, we think there's about a thousand of us. Give us an and, and by the way, to our to our detriment, there was a certain amount. Of because we are the, now the chosen people and we're out here in our, receiving our inheritance there was a certain amount of <clears throat> oh <no. laughs> God's given this to me God's given it we are the chosen people what about us? well you're going to have to go yeah so <laughs> I feel like they, uh, the old settlers had that, you know, mentality that oh, you know, like what you said, we better and everything. They also uh, the morning and evening star. Yes. Which is which is like. It was the newspaper. Yeah. So they, the, the old settlers, the original settlers, felt left out because it only talked about them. You the right? Mormons. Yes. So they felt left out of everything and politics as well. Latter-day Saints, they were more educated and then like others yeah. that were not. So. Well, and here's one more step. Missouri, the, this, when, when Missouri became a state, there was another unique aspect to Missouri as opposed to the other states. Every other state, including Utah when it came in as a state, would uh, elect their legislature. The legislature would then vote on who the senator was going to be back in Washington. Not Missouri. In Missouri that it was majority rule so we all vote so it's majority rule so now in Jackson County Latter-day Saints are now becoming a third of the population what happens when they cross over that line and they become the majority now they will take over the the state house they will take over the judgeships they will take care of everything and we're going to be out of here yeah the most of them were from the east now let's take that part yes indeedy so as bad as this is where are you, are you guys coming from like Tennessee and Virginia no we're from New York <laughs> we're from New York we're from Ohio we're from Pennsylvania we're from Upper Canada uh oh now we have one more problem and that is what? slavery, slavery. Because, again, the South did not feel connected to the industrial North because the industrial North says, we still think slavery is an abomination, we're hoping it's going to go away. Uh, And the South says, our entire economy is built on this thing. Don't, you can't pull this out from underneath us. uh, Sometimes we said the Civil War was about slavery. Well, it was really about money. (laughs) Really about economics, but the economics was driven by slavery. So in a backhanded way, yeah, it was about slavery. Okay. So now you have this additional problem. So there's this building tension in the west part of Missouri. They're watching their influence grow. There's a sense that when we don't like people, we just push them off their lands. What are the Mormons going to do when they get here? Probably push us off our lands. Okay? Now all we need... All we need is a little spark. We just need a little spark where, where the combustion is building and one last little excuse and it comes in July 1833. W.W. W. Phelps in the newspaper. What do we do with free people of color? The church was starting in the, in the northeast to, to actually be uh, preaching and baptizing uh, free people of color. What do we do if they want their inheritance in Missouri, a slave state? Okay, well, W. W. Phelps. To prevent any misunderstandings among the churches abroad, Respecting free people of color who may think of coming to the western boundaries of Missouri as members of the church. We quote the following clauses from the laws of Missouri. Then quote the the fact that this is a slave state and, and all of that. Okay, Slaves are real estate in this and other states. And wisdom would dictate great care among the branches of the church on this topic. So long as we have no special rule in the church as to people of color, let prudence guide. While they as well as we are in the hands of a merciful God, we say, shun every appearance of evil. Okay? That, that was the article. Now, if you are an old settler and you're a slaveholder, what did you just read? You're you're number you're evil number 1 don't make a big deal out of it but come anyway even if you're a slave or you're a runaway slave act like a free person of color and come on in anyway that was how that was interpreted so uh, and in, and they and that that was the spark That was the excuse that they were looking for that we're going to make this about slavery and so what happens then in July of 1833, uh, they then get together, they issue an ultimatum. This article exhibits them, the Mormons, in more odious colors. It manifests a desire on the part of their society to inflict in our society an injury that they know would be to us entirely unstoppable. One of the surest means of driving us from the country. Why would they be driven from the country? It would require then of supernatural gifts that they pretend to they didn't like the fact that there were these supernatural things. To see the introduction of such a caste among us that would corrupt our blacks and instigate them to bloodshed. There had been an uprising, Nat Turner, uh, a few years previous, that resulted in a lot of bloodshed. And there are 900 slaves in Missouri. What happens if they rise up? That's a formidable force. Mm-hmm. Especially when by the Mormons. And then, if the Mormons are then going to bring in the Indians on top of that, we could get wiped out. So, there is a part of this I'm kind of sympathetic a bit to saying if you're looking at it through their eyes, you would see a, a, a major threat here. Okay? Uh, so, the, the, the rest of what, what comes next, we know, obviously, that. Um, Uh, They are then going to issue a uh, ultimatum to members of the church and to make sure that they punctuate that ultimatum, Uh, they're then going to destroy the uh, printing press, they're going to uh, uh, tar and feather Edward Partridge, and then they're going to make them sign an agreement that says all the Mormons will be out of here half by January 1st, 1834, uh, and the rest by April. We want every Mormon out of this county and force the brethren to sign it. Yeah? What happened to the properties that they had purchased? Ah. He says, what, what happens to the properties that they, they purchased? The problem was is that some they had purchased, some were homesteaded, uh, but. But what Joseph is going to say to them, and this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, Joseph is going to say, and it'll actually come through Revelation, do not sell one inch of property in Missouri even if you're being kicked out don't sell it hold on to it because it's going to up our chances to be uh, uh, returned to our property it gives us a case in court if we if we own these uh, uh, the governor is going to ultimately get wind of this and I'm jumping ahead uh, the governor will get a hold of this and he says yeah that's really bad what's happened to you guys down there we're going to hold a tribunal in independence the Mormons need to come down and testify This is after we've been driven out. And people like uh, Orson uh, (coughs) or Oliver Cowdery say, uh, no, we've been promised we'll be killed if we show up anywhere in Jackson County again. So nobody would go back in there to testify at these tribunals. It's too dangerous. Okay, so... So here's what's going on. So now they're being, and, and now they start on a regular basis to harass. Uh, now, think about this, is the, this, and you've seen this in every cowboy movie, across the, what happens if you find a horse thief? And the horse thief is being held at the jail. What does the town do? Hey. Let them. What do they do? Breaking. Get a mob. So you get all of the pitchforks and and the torches and everybody's gonna march because that was majority rule you have to get rid of the undesirables kill them or you can ride them out of town on a rail or you're gonna tar and feather them or in some way it was that was that was frontier justice and this is that, we have undesirables in here that are gonna stir up our blacks, are gonna bring in the Indians, and we've gotta ride them out of town so they begin this this uh, harass them, get worse, but they back off a little bit because you guys said, uh, you're leaving in April, but we're gonna really make life miserable for the next few months, okay? So in the middle, so so now let's come back just a sec. In the middle of all of the temple stuff, Life is good in the in the temple. We're building the temple. We're starting to form the footings for the temple. Artemis Millet is going to come and help establish the temple and everything. Oliver Cowdery rides in on his horse in, in uh, August. First week of August, and he says, Zion's fallen. And we've been kicked, we're being kicked out. Now I want want you to think for just a second. For these early saints, the idea that they are building and they're receiving their inheritances in independence. And they're going to go out to Missouri and build the temple that will bring the Savior here. To find out that Zion is falling, what kind of a challenge emotionally would that be to those in Kirtland? Massive. How about for Joseph Smith? They, these people, these good people on my, on the revelations that I have received, have packed up all of their stuff. They've moved a thousand miles away. They're creating. their and now suddenly everything that I promised them is falling apart. And they thought it was all happen in their life. They did. It was imminent it was imminent and th- this is the that now your mind starts thinking there you know and and think about I think as I was I was I was watching this and then I'll, I'll show you Joseph's response in just a second think about the people that are struggling with crisis, faith crises in the church today that they believe from their patriarchal blessing they were promised things or that, that that's what they were told about growing up or something this is a, this is a tremendous faith crisis we thought this would work this was zion god is going to protect zion he won't god would never let zion fall and god fulfills his promise and god always fulfills his promises okay so joseph sits on this for a couple of days and then and then he writes a letter. Now this is significant because most of the revelations and and journals and everything that we have from Joseph is not in his own handwriting. He was dictating to scribes who would change the words, say it in their own words, um we just don't have that many things during this period of time in Joseph's own handwriting but a letter back then why was a handwritten letter so important to people if you have if you have a baseball and it's signed by Babe Ruth why is that important Pretty rare. And he did it in. His, and it's rare because he did it in his own hand. Mm-hmm. Babe Ruth <laughs> held this baseball and signed it. Mm-hmm. If you have something, you have a document in in Thomas Jefferson's handwriting. Why is it so rare? Thomas Jefferson stood there and wrote this himself. It's a connection. It's a connection to that past, okay? For Joseph to hand, when Joseph says, I need to send something to Missouri, he doesn't dictate it. He does a handwritten letter in his own handwriting and his own thoughts. There it is. There it is. It's one of the things I love so much about the Joseph Smith paper project. You want to see the letter that Joseph wrote? There it is. You see where he's starting. Brother William, John, Edward, Isaac, John, Sidney. You know, he's writing this in his own handwriting. He needs this to have a personal touch. Now. I want you to listen to Joseph's words. Oh, thou disposer of all events, thou dispenser of all good, in the name of Jesus Christ I ask thee to inspire my heart. Ignite my thoughts, guide my pen, to note some kind words to my brethren in Zion, that like the rays of the sun upon the earth warmeth the face thereof, so let this word I write warm the hearts of the brethren, or as the gentle dew descendeth upon or gentle rain descendeth upon the earth, or the dews upon the mountain refresh the faces of nature, and causeth her to smile. Um, So give thy servant Joseph a word that he may refresh the hearts and revive the spirits of those afflicted when who have been called to leave their homes and go to a strange land. What you really hear is is a grieving prophet. This letter is really touching and he is bleeding because these people are going through all of these things and Oliver is giving him firsthand knowledge about what's going on and and he's gonna say um, the middle there the jaws uh, the beast and they're being driven into the beast in the wilderness for a long time were open to devour them thus did Abraham and Paul at Ephesus behold thou are like them what do we know about Abraham and Paul in Ephesus. Why would he use them? They were afflicted and delivered. They went through these horrible trials and then they were delivered. You are like them. There will be deliverance here. Okay? Now, I think here's the, harder, the hardest part of all of this. Whoops. Oops. Wow. What are we doing there? That's what I get for messing with that. Let's do it. Come on. Okay. Okay. comes right here at the, on the bottom of the first page. But know this, when men deal with you and speak all manner of evil of you falsely for the sake of Christ. By the way, we will hear that phrase again. Where? Liberty, Liberty jail. Yeah. He, that, the same sentiment that he will feel in Liberty jail. When all men speak of you falsely. Okay? For the sake of Christ that he is your friend again shades of Liberty and I verily know that he will speedily deliver Zion for I have his immutable covenant that this shall be the case but then listen close but God is pleased to keep it hid from mine own eyes the means how exactly the thing will be done God is not telling me how this will work. Now, for a prophet that's used to getting answers from God, I can't imagine a greater trial. I can't. Other than say... um, The church in Kirtland concluded with one accord to die with you or redeem you and never at any time have I felt as I feel now that pure love for you, my brethren, the warmth and zeal for your safety that we can scarcely hold our spirits. But wisdom I trust will keep us from madness and desperation and the power of the gospel will enable us to stand. Now, let me ask... I think, for all of us, as it was with Joseph at this time, isn't this the greatest trial? What happens if you feel like you have a promise from God and it falls through? What if your marriage was sealed in the temple and that should give you certain blessings and protection, or you've been doing home, your family home evening or something it's supposed to protect your family, and then it doesn't, and you feel that God co- covenanted with you on certain things and is falling through? How do you handle that? Well, you have a couple of choices. You can, you can say it was false. Which is a scary thing if 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 that promise from God was false, or that you did something to screw it up really bad. There's the other thing. God made the promise and I messed it up. Yeah. Or like Joseph said, I don't know. God God knows, and I just have to wait. And sometimes in that waiting, it says this doesn't. What if you have a patriarchal blessing? I remember towards the clo- through the uh, closing of uh, my mom's life as she's dying from cancer, she had a she had a patriarchal blessing that said she would teach the gospel all over the world, and it was never fulfilled in her lifetime. And I remember in in the, the closing weeks of her life that came up again. I don't understand, Kevin, why it is that my patriarchal blessing what's on the spirit world. Well, and we and we kinda of tried to say that, but but it said, you know, that it was gonna happen and so that she was trying to somehow explain somehow and you know, yeah. Well that you can look at it as generational. she taught her Do you know I've it's funny you, you mentioned that because I have sent, as I've thought about my mom's struggles and worried about that she didn't get a chance to teach the gospel in many nations and and I think of the I think of the lessons that I've been blessed to teach in the sacred tomb and in Athens and in Belize and I've had a chance to teach the on the sea of Galilee. Uh, I've had a chance to teach kind of all over the world the gospel and I wonder at times if it's been, yeah, if I'm kind of, if I got to do some of that, and she's on the other side going, make sure you go there and get a chance to teach you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get a chance to do it, you go do it. Yeah. So, yeah. My great-grandfather, Henry Rigby, was told that he would work on the temple in Jackson County. And so, my mom said, you know, all aunts and uncles. Yeah. in dad's lifetime, dad's lifetime, and then he died and then they came to understand more that there will be resurrected beings working on the house. Yeah then it makes sense we don't understand don't know God, right? yeah my uh, my my pioneer grandfather Arza Hinckley was one day in Nauvoo they're working in the at the quarry and it's lunchtime and most people have gone and he and just a couple of other brethren are chopping away at the rock there and Brigham Young walks up and kind of looks them in the quarry and 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 this is as they're already knowing that they're going west and, Brigham, and and Arza asked him about that. What, what are we going to do this? And Brigham says, I give you my promise. Here's what's going to happen. We will take our things and our people. And we are going to go away to the west. But one day, we will be privileged to come back and build that temple in the center stake. And Arza hung on to that promise all of his life. And and i and I reading in his journal, uh, like the last year of his life. He says, I guess I'm not gonna be able to be part of that when that happens and he he'd been hoping for that all of his life that he'd be able to do that and and so, sometimes we don't have... Joseph didn't have any answers here. So, Kevin, there's a difference between the battle and the war. You know, this is a battle. Yeah. So, they're thinking Zion's falling apart, and it is during that battle. But war-wise, in which the mm-hmm. God, he does keep his promises, the war, the overall... Here we are hundreds of years later, Zion is established. So... Uh, Yeah, understand our part. That's right. But in the moment, in in that in that moment where we're living in there, God made me promises, and Joseph's making promises. We're going to be there. We're going to redeem it. We'll make this happen. You will be delivered. And right about the time that uh, Zion will then fall, um, uh, Frederick G. Williams writes a little note. In October of 1833, and he says, we haven't received any revelations for a long time. Everything is shut down, and I think we have a very depressed prophet who's going through his valley of despair, trying to figure out what we do and, and how we do this. So... One of the things that happens is, as we get a chance to study these people, you see very human people with very familiar problems. They are like us; they have the same stuff. And and this for Joseph was a was an incredible challenge. Okay. it's is that why Oliver Cowdery and David Whitmer and some others fell away? in Missouri? No, it really isn't. Yeah, when when we talk about in 1837 why it is that we lose David Whitmer and Oliver Cowdery, it swings on a whole different set of things. Uh, Danites might be involved here. Uh I think what this one sister said about the millennial reign. There's a lot that I think is going to happen there that maybe things that didn't happen here, but also there's the spirit world. I mean, us the spirit world seems like this separate thing, but it's really not. They're just here, we just can't see them and and maybe... It's, it's hard when we're struggling, we th- feel like we've had a blessing from a patriarchal blessing or you received a, a priesthood blessing of healing or something that was given to you while you're being set apart. Uh, by the way, I think I mentioned that when my mom was being set apart, she was told that she, the blessings of motherhood were already upon her after waiting for nine years and, and the bishop freaked out. <laughs> and I really was on the way at that point kind of cool <laughs> but we, we get these promises and blessings and stuff like that and we think God has promised us and we just see in our short little space here and it feels like we have been forgotten and I think it's a very real one of those very real tribulations that we go through so alright is that plenty for today? Uh, there, th- there's there's uh, in the, so, so for next week, we're going to talk a little bit more then about, uh, Zion does fall over a period of six days from October 31st to November 6th. It will fall, uh, the saints are going to be driven, they're hanging on by the by the side of the river in Missouri over to get into Clay County. Uh, on the other side where they are actually treated with some kindness over there. Um, and and then they start to try and reestablish themselves but and then so so next week we're going to be talking about that as well as so here comes Zion's camp to try and somehow rescue them in the middle of all this and what happens as part of Zion's camp so final comments before we finish up i guess i should know this but do we still own the property for the temple no no, the, uh, the, the, the provenance of who owns the, the, the temple site in Independence has a long and storied history, uh, and there's still three groups that claim it. Uh, there were court dates going back to the early 1900s uh, by groups claiming that it was theirs. Um, we did own part of it. I, I mentioned it. We did own a part on the uh, western, uh, the southern part of that. That we traded with the community of Christ for the old burial ground in Nauvoo. Um, so, yeah, that, we don't own the actual site at the moment. So, any final comments? Good stuff. Thank, nice history lesson, right? Uh, church is true. Uh, our, our history is amazing. Of, of normal people trying to do the best that they knew how to do. And we kind of have been through it as saints. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.